This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. Thank you, David. Thank you, listeners, for joining us with another 30 minutes of your precious time as we talk about the politics of the day. And we have our special guest, Charlie Cook, uh, with the Cook Political Report, probably one of the best uh, or well-known political prognosticators of elections and politics. And uh, thanks for being with us, Charlie. My pleasure. So we wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, Governor of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis. And uh, I I record here out of St. Petersburg and been watching him very closely. Uh, he's getting a lot of talk about a possible uh, 2024 presidential bid. I guess if they were going to take a vote today with Trump out of it, he would be the guy. What do you think of him? Well, it's first a word of caution is that, um, you know, when you're looking three years out, a lot of times one person will look like, okay, if it were today, this is who it would be. And you could come up with a whole train of logic on why that would be. And it makes all the sense in the world. And the end of the day, you know, they may not may not even make the final hunt. I mean, I can remember when it looked pretty, pretty clear that Phil Graham had a great shape to be the Republican nominee in 1996 and sort of didn't happen. But, you know, if you were going to say today, if the Republican nominee was going to be someone other than Donald Trump, you know, would... Would DeSantis probably would DeSantis be the best guest today? Absolutely. Phil Graham, what a what a what a I forgot about Phil Graham. So you're right. I remember that. I remember that uh, primary. And that's the thing, right? I mean, we didn't have Joe Biden until like maybe a month before the convention or two months before the convention. Yeah, and, and of course, also though that that the 2000 uh, the 2020 uh, Democratic side. Uh, that was, I mean, you could live 200 years and not have seen anything like that. Um, I mean, to have someone go from fourth place in Iowa and fifth place in New Hampshire and basically destined for the political uh, 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 roadkill category and end up in a matter of two weeks, three weeks with the nomination pretty much wrapped up. Um, and so that was an unusual case. But a lot of times early on, you uh, um, something will someone will look like they're it makes, as I said, makes all the sense in the world. And it just sort of doesn't. But right now, I mean, DeSantis, to me, um, the chances of Republicans nominating someone from the other more conventional legacy Republican lane is practically non-existent. Yes, that's right. That you're you're going to get uh, uh, Donald Trump yes. or a Trump, which I think is least likely, or someone that is from his wing of the party, but may not have, may not, you know, is not him personally. Someone that might be perceived as uh, uh, the embodiment of the Trump message and the right. Trump approach, but may not have some of the personality quirks mm-hmm. that Donald Trump had mm-hmm. uh, has that's some of the baggage that, that unquestionably uh, uh, held him back. Uh, and if you were going to take a wild guess today, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis would fill that bill better than anyone else. Um, 
you know, while Mike Pence would be, you know, stylistically the opposite, mm-hmm. and while ideologically, you know, he's certainly in the the mainstream of the Republican Party, uh, closer really than Donald Trump was, uh, but. Um, you know, I think I think the Republican Party is going through a period where they want somebody that's hot, that mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is is not calm and deliberate and all that, but someone with a hot personality. Uh, and Ron DeSantis is different from Donald Trump in some ways, or a lot of ways, but he he can run hot too, and and I think that's that, so. I'd say he's the most would be the most plausible today, knowing that oftentimes that's not what ends up panning out. Does Trump run? I did not think he would. I mean, first of all, here's the caveat. Someone can, and surely, certainly many people have, gone broke trying to bet on what Donald Trump will or won't do. Um, yeah, he really is one of the most unpredictable people on the planet. Although actually, uh, rapidly, Joe Biden is moving up in that category in terms of being unpredictable. But, um, I mean, uh, he sure looks like it. He's acting like it. Um, but having said that, whether I was Joe Biden or whether I was Donald Trump, my instructions to my people would be, as long as there is a 5% chance that I'm going to run in 2024, you should assume I am and act accordingly and put together the apparatus that we would want to have if we do it to keep my options open. And so that part of it, um, that part of it doesn't, you know, doesn't convince me that he is just because they're putting together the outlines of a team, it's really more, does he act as if he is someone who could walk away from it? And, and right now, so far, he doesn't act like he would be capable of simply walking away and saying, oh, I've decided not to run. Uh, that just doesn't seem to be in, you know, where his head is right now. Uh, but, you know, nobody's going to make a decision until after the midterm elections anyway. So it's interesting because uh, you say that it, and Trump will be 78 if he runs. And we haven't elected a 78 year old president since oh, November. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. DeSantis. Well, 77 and 49 <laughs> weeks. How about that? There you go. So uh, DeSantis is pushing all the right buttons. He's he's come out against the coronavirus uh, mask policy that the schools, he's actually taken them to court to block their mask policies. He's, uh, cre- you know, he voted quickly after the election on more restrictive uh, voting. He's uh, created an anti-riot bill after the Black Lives Matter, um, you know, protests. Um, he's revamping school testing standards, uh, ban on transgender. Today, they talked about a new abortion law that would be similar to Texas. He came in with Trump. He was a congressman who rode uh, Trump's con- t- coattails and got in very slim. Um, is that an intentional thing, do you think? Oh, I think he's, I think Ron DeSantis is definitely all in on the culture wars. Mm-hmm. He is completely bought in. Um, you know, from a, you know, moving away from, moving away from culture, um, you know, I guess if I followed Florida politics and what was going on in Tallahassee day in, day out, I could 
point to things on the purely economic sphere and sort of presumably economically conservative things he does and believes and advocates. And, you know, maybe there's something on the foreign policy side, but, you know, 99% of everything you hear about Ron DeSantis is directly or indirectly linked to the culture wars. And that seems to be, you know, right now where the the hearts and minds of the Trump base and of a substantial part of the Republican Party right now. And it's interesting because you mentioned uh, Trump's style. So Trump's, I think, had just a horrible communication skills. He just, they were just, DeSantis is, as you say, very methodical, almost robotic. I mean, and, and you and I have seen a lot of presidential candidates and candidates around doesn't have a lot of charisma, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, it's not going to wow people, but he's on Fox all the time. He's he's doing dozens of interviews there. He pre- pretty much controls them. He tells them what he's got on or what he's not. Um, does that matter that he's not a, a charismatic? You know, I remember the old Austin Powers shows, the mini-me, you know. Yeah. He seems to be a Trump mini-me, but very robotic. Does that hurt him? In some, well, in some ways he is, in some ways not. I mean, the thing is nowadays, uh, being able to get up and give a speech is not terribly important. Mm-hmm. Being mm-hmm. able to mix it up with voters and project leadership mm-hmm. when you're, you know, shaking hands and talking to voters is is unimportant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, right now it's just, everything is about television mm-hmm. and the, the image you project. Mm-hmm. And he projects, I think a super self-confident brash, but, uh, uh, a uh, uh, person that is not inconsistent with Donald Trump, mm-hmm. even though, uh, but he, um, um, as I said earlier, d- doesn't carry some of the Trump baggage, but the, you know, how he interacts with people personally, um, uh, you know, maybe is robotic, but, but, you know, in a presidential race, who the heck would know? Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the joke in California is a political rally is two, is two people in front of the, in front of the TV set in their living rooms. Uh-huh. Um, and that that's kind of where we are. Uh, in American politics today and where, you know, I don't think and I, I love the people in in Iowa and like the people, there's a distinction uh, in New Hampshire. But, you know, the, the, I don't think those two are going to be key states in 2024. Yes. And I don't think retail campaigning, face to face campaigning is 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 ever going to be as important as it as it used to be. And that's, uh, so that's interesting. Yeah. You could be robotic, and I don't know that it would hold you back um, as much as it might have in, in other days. And the other thing is, you know, Michael Dukakis somehow won a Democratic nomination. And <laughs> that would be yes. kind of the embodiment of robotic, you yes. know, in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's sort of are, are, are Republican voters buying what? a certain candidate is selling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we saw in 2008 where uh, in, in little way was Barack Obama more experienced than say Hillary Clinton. Sure. But 
the Democratic Party was buying what he was selling that year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so all those other things that would seem to make a lot of sense didn't matter so much in 2008. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. Uh, I mean, this guy's got a pretty good pedigree in terms of, I mean, Yale Law School, Har I mean, Lake Yale University, Harvard Law School, um, you know, very, very um, smart. Now, I, I think he didn't get into the Ivy League as a transfer with a rich father. <laughs> That's, but you're right. I mean, we got Republicans, we got Democrats, and we got Trumpism, and and this is the guy um, right now. But you know, it reminds me. You're from Louisiana. I worked in Louisiana. It reminds me of Bobby Jindal. So Bobby Jindal was uh, he was the boy wonder, Rose Scholar. Um, very very fascinating to watch. Very you know deliberate and you know, one misstep and his uh, career was over. He gave the response to the uh, state of the union or one of those speeches. And it just seemed to be over. And you mentioned we got social media, we got TV, everything is so focused micro. See, I would argue that that wasn't a misstep. It was more of an exposure that it exposed his weakness as a candidate. I mean, for the first time, it was like painfully obvious uh, that, you know, I never thought Bobby Jindal had the slightest chance in the world of winning the Republican nomination, yeah. which is clearly a view different from what he had. But it, it just became obvious for anyone and everyone at that point that this wasn't the guy. Um, I think DeSantis projects. And again, I I I don't know uh, if I met him when he was in the House. Maybe I did. Yeah. I don't remember. But the thing is, if he doesn't project anything like Bobby Jindal, and he does project this. Um, I mean, Jindal in a small setting, one on I, I back when he was a what assistant secretary of health and human services. Uh, yep. I, I sat, we two of us sat in his office for about an hour and a half one Friday afternoon, uh, and on you know in that kind of setting. You know, there are very, very few people that are as impressive as he was. Yes, that's uh, and, right. And, 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 uh, but uh, in terms of retail or in terms of, of, of political campaign skills, you know, maybe sort of not so much. I, I don't think DeSantis, uh, I, I wouldn't compare him with Bobby Jindal that much other than sort of general philosophy. So it's interesting because DeSantis has to run for governor next year. Um, right now, um, I think the more known candidate is Charlie Crist, who was the former governor, was a congressman, was a Republican, and an independent. Now he's a Democrat. Um, DeSantis has got millions going into the race. Um, but Democrats say they're going to pour millions into uh, to fighting him. Is this just a bump in the road for him, do you think? Well, I mean, Florida is a um, it is still a competitive state, but it's a state where Democrats for uh, for the last few years have just they've gotten close, but no cigar. And in 2018, both the Senate race and the governor's race incredibly close, but right. couldn't get that over that that hump. So, you know, Democrats are within striking distance, uh, you know, in Florida, uh, just by virtue of just where the two parties are. And, and nationally, I would say the same thing is the days of, in fact, I have a column that came out this morning where, or last night, that, that the days of winning with landslides nationally or in really competitive states is, I mean, that day's over. 
because we're in an era of high floors and low yes. ceilings for yes. parties. Yes. And so yes. they're always more yes. or less within yes. striking distance. Um, and and the, I think that candidates, uh, and I realize I'm contradicting something I said a little earlier, but I'm thinking now in terms of general elections, I think candidates matter, candidate quality matters less than ever before because so many voters, nine out of 10 voters, they're either voting red or they're voting blue. And it's just parliamentary. And, you know, no matter how badly a candidate of my party sucks, I'm going to vote for him no matter what. And no matter how fabulous the other side's candidate is, I'm going to vote against him no matter what. No doubt. Well, that kind of narrows the range of, of, of possibilities so that it comes out with, okay, mm-hmm. whose base is disproportionately more or less energized? Right. And what is the 10% tops, 5 to 10% in the middle, mm-hmm. uh, independents who don't follow this stuff very closely yes. I- anyway, but tend to be suspicious of politics and politicians? Yeah. Um, do they break disproportionately one way or the other? But it, it's so, it, it, candidate quality means less. In general elections, candidate quality means less than, than ever before. The ability to create a brand that's, that separates you from your party, you know, the, the ability to be a, uh, you know, having the Landrew name in Louisiana or the prior name in Arkansas, uh, you know, when the tide's running against your party, even the name doesn't can't can't help you anymore. And that's that's an interesting point you make because I remember when David Vitter ran for Senate. Now he ran after the prostitution scandal. You know he was mm-hmm. he was linked to a to a prostitution right. ring. He ran after. I remember standing outside one of the polls, and a woman came out and she said, "I said, who'd you vote for?" She said, "Vitter." And I said, "Well, why?" And she said, "Cause he's a Republican." And, and that is exactly where we are today. So when you look at Pence against DeSantis, and again, we're we're four years away from this but if you look at uh, pence against the scientists do they split the republicans how do you see that happening well are, are you well you're thinking of 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 pence running well, against DeSantis in the primaries so. oh 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 well i don't think DeSantis would get in against trump unless unless former president trump were bleeding profusely mm-hmm. um that um if to the extent that that his that that people are sticking have stuck with him that long, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't. Um, and it, well, let me actually approach this a different way. In some ways, the fact that DeSantis has to run for reelection in 2022 is 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 is, is maybe uh, can, arguably is an asset because people can say, are you going to run for president 2024? You know what? I'm focused on Florida and the people of Florida and getting reelected in Florida and basically not getting in Donald Trump's face Mm -hmm. because the, the last thing, if somebody, anybody who wants the Republican nomination in 2024 shouldn't want to be the target of his ire. Exactly. And so having, Having something there that I'm doing, I'm getting working re-election, and uh, you know, if I happen to get to Iowa, well, I'm trying to help Governor, you know, Kim Kim, uh, Kim Reynolds. I'm I'm just here to help Kim Reynolds. 
Right. Or if I happen to be in New Hampshire, well, I'm here for <laughs> for, Chris, for Governor Sununu. I remember and, those, yeah. yeah. You know, There's plus the fact that, frankly, yeah. I don't know that the calendar is necessarily going to run through those two states anyway. Yeah. Because yeah. Joe Biden has yep. no love yep. lost for either state. Exactly. And the parties tend to go pretty much in tandem. Yeah. And I, I could easily see... Uh, the first couple of primaries and caucuses uh, be, uh, uh, you know, sort of a revolving group that are that may not include Iowa, New Hampshire at all. Yeah. And and you mentioned something that was very interesting about this governor's race. He's going to get a lot of media attention for this race. I mean, he's going to be on TV and there's going to be a lot of focus on him. So I guess he gets helped by that. Right. Yeah, I, I just want to. I mean, the thing is, in a, in a if if you're Ron DeSantis, what I would think would be the best case scenario would be uh, former President Trump decides not to run for re-election and doesn't trash me, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to the extent that my efforts could help, you know, bring that along, would be would be would be a good thing. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a dangerous uh, I think it'd be dangerous for anybody that really wants seriously wants the Republican nomination. And what and and I say that that way because it's not seeking the the uh, the Lincoln Project nomination. Yes. But uh, yes. I'm talking about seeking the Republican nomination. Um, you 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 want to stay out of his out of out of former president uh, uh, Trump's gun sites, mm-hmm. and so no matter who the heck you are, it would be nice to have something that you could say you're doing that is not doing anything that Donald Trump would think is a in-your-face move aimed at him or at his expense. So it's interesting because Trump lives here in Florida. He's down in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, him and DeSantis are, are buddies, I mean. And, and But there was an interesting, and you may know this rule, but there was an interesting thing where um, if, if Trump was to pick DeSantis as a running mate, they can't be both from the same state, according to it. I don't know what that rule is. I just Yeah, and also, though, I don't think, I mean, yes, it, it's absolutely true. They can't, constitutionally, they have to be from different states. But the other thing is, I don't think there's a ticket that's big enough for both of them. <laughs> and of course, Trump could change his mind about DeSantis tomorrow because he picked the wrong football team. You know? I, I tell you what, the more the more DeSantis name is on the front page of the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times, the more it's on the front page, the less Donald Trump is likely to to like him. Oh yeah. And so, um, you know, uh, you want to be visible and you want to, you know, Republicans around the country to know who you are and to move around, but you don't want to be seen as being disrespectful in any way Mm -hmm. to, to president Trump. Yeah. That's a fine line to walk. It, It definitely is. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it's well, it's a it's a it's a hard job. Mm-hmm. So it's appropriate that it be difficult to to get it. Yeah. You know, yeah. You mentioned uh, Mike Pence and uh, what's his future look like? Putting aside all, you know, any feelings about policy or ideology or anything. You know, he's he's um, he's a very, very conventional 
drawing between the lines kind of guy at a time when a party isn't like that. Yes. I mean, the, 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 the Tea Party movement, which has been rebranded as the Trump base mm-hmm. or the Trump mm-hmm. side of the party, mm-hmm. that is not, it, it's a messy place. Mm-hmm. And it's not a, a keep your drawing between the lines kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I don't think that they prize someone that's orderly. Mm-hmm and consistent and um so i mean there was a i think there was a time when mike pence had and i I don't know that he ever was you know charismatic has been charismatic but there was a time when someone could be like pence and uh and be rewarded but i don't think that's where the republican party is right now or for the immediate future. So Pence really doesn't, he, he didn't benefit from the being the vice president of Trump. He didn't benefit well, from that connection. It's, it's not, I mean, I think Trump benefited from him right. more than he benefited because, um, you know, you had a bunch, you had some, you know, strong ideological conservatives, principled conservatives that were uneasy with Donald Trump early right. on. Right. Because he did have some positions that were not sort of legacy Republican Party positions or uh, positions that necessarily the uh, Heritage Foundation uh, would, uh, w- w- would would have embraced. Um, and that but Pence was a known quantity and was trusted. And, well, I, I guess Trump's probably OK. So I think in, in his own methodical, not terribly colorful way, Mike Pence did a real service for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, I doubt if President, I, I doubt if former President Trump appreciates it at all sure, or even sure, recognizes sure. it. But, but you know, I think, <laughs> yeah, that guy Mike down, down the office did, there. <laughs> but that's not where that's not where the party is right now. Right. And now I, I will say though that. Um, uh, Right now, for the old-fashioned conventional Republican Party, um, I think that they're going to lie dormant for a while until one thing happens. If President Biden and Democrats in Congress, there are a couple lines that if they step over those lines and go too far, you're going to have a lot of upscale suburban voters who either used to be Republicans or were independents but leaned Republican or often voted Republican, who have migrated over into the Democratic, towards the Democratic Party because they weren't comfortable with where the Republican Party is. Mm-hmm. But there is a point that if Democrats go too far, this group will move back in. And this is not a Trump group at all. Mm-hmm. And this is a group of people that could start bringing back to life that non-Trump segment of the party, which right now is way too small to nominate anybody, mm-hmm. but eventually, and, and eventually, you know, is usually over many years, um, you know, I think they'll come back. I mean, I, my theory is that both parties are enormously self-destructive. Yes. And yes. if left to their own devices, will self-destruct. In other yes. words, you give a party the presidency, the House and the Senate, and there's a clock ticking 
mm-hmm. uh, timer ticking. That it's only a matter of time before they go too far. Yep. And get thrown out on their on their ears. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why we've had four consecutive presidents that have lost control of both the House and Senate during their presidencies, mm-hmm. which has never happened before. Mm-hmm. So I have no doubt that that's going to happen. And but the only question, you know, is it going to be in the first two years, the second, you know, or first mm-hmm. four, first six? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, but it, it's inevitable. It's human nature that a party will go too far if they've got all the power. Mm-hmm. And uh, or or all the responsibility anyway. Yeah. So um, um, you know, I think that wing of the party will come back, but it it you know I, I seriously doubt if they're going to come back in the next uh, next fourteen months. What do you think of Kamala Harris? How, how has her service been in terms of her political future? Well, you know, it's interesting. When she was running for president, I was pretty underwhelmed. I don't think she connected well at all. And then when she came out on the stage, when Biden introduced her as a running mate, and I remember watching her and thinking, wow, she's pretty good. Where, where, you know, who, where was this when she was running for president on her own? And I think she did a pretty good job of connecting people with people during that, you know, brief period of, from the time she was picked until, you know, through the election. Now, they take office and the first thing that happens pretty much is Biden assigns her responsibility for U.S. Mexican border immigration. And she's probably thinking, geez, thanks boss. Um, I thought you had forgiven me for that debate, but apparently not, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and, you know, you give me something that's like absolutely unwinnable that's absolutely a mess uh, and that was likely to and did in fact get worse. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so I, I don't, you know, I, obviously she hasn't helped herself. I mm-hmm. think she has hurt herself. Mm-hmm. But having said that, um, let's pretend for a moment that Joe Biden decides not to seek a second term. Mm-hmm. So what's happening? Uh, it's pretty clear that Kamala Harris would run for the Democratic nomination. Now, if you're a if you're a white guy, mm-hmm. Democrat in the U.S. Senate, let's just say, mm-hmm. House, um, I would not want to be the first person ch- to jump in challenging her, mm-hmm. or the second. Mm-hmm. But once there were a couple people in, oh, I think I could be the third or fourth, fifth. Uh, in other words, um, whoever is the first person to oppose an African-American woman winning the Democratic nomination in a party where African-Americans play a vastly disproportionate role, and particularly African-American women who vote at much, much higher levels than African-American men, or or in the way of the first woman president, um, whoever is that first, first, maybe first, second, person in, and particularly if they're a white guy, I think they're going to catch a lot of arrows and quite possibly be mortally wounded for having been the first person to mix Mm -hmm. metaphors uh, through that doorway. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, I uh, know which raises kind of interesting thing of, um, well, what what about Deval Patrick? African-American, former governor yes, of Massachusetts. Yes, yes. That, I mean, I think he can go through that doorway 
and he might catch an arrow or two mm-hmm. uh, for stepping in to stop a woman from getting elected, uh, winning the Democratic nomination, getting elected. But um, he 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 might not have some of the resistance, initial resistance that um, you know, let's say a, a white guy would have. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, um, um, but I think you would have a pretty good size field. Um, one thing from history, though, um, the last four sitting vice presidents who have sought their party's nominations, starting with Nixon in 60, um, they all, all four of them won their party's nomination. Very interesting. Uh, now, only one of them, George H.W. Bush, uh, actually won the presidency mm-hmm. in that bid. Mm-hmm. But that's a little misleading because, um, you know, usually when a sitting vice president is running for a president's nomination, it's after their boss has served eight years, two mm-hmm. terms, mm-hmm. and it's one of the hardest things in politics you could do, as mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton learned, mm-hmm. is is win the presidency for your party a third time in a row. Mm-hmm. Because um, uh, the way Americans have been since, at least since Franklin Roosevelt, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's two and done. And they vote for change. You've been super generous with your time, and I just wanted to ask you, I think everybody kind of agrees that the House is going to go Republican. Uh, what do you think in the Senate? 14 months out. Look, right now, are the stars lining up for the House to perform the way the House usually does in midterm elections with decent losses for the party in power, uh, and they can only afford five? So, you know, today, right now, it looks a heck of a lot more likely than not that Democrats will lose the majority in the House. Now, I would say that Republicans can't win a majority in the House, but that Democrats can lose it. And they seem to be doing, you know, exactly what they would need to do if they wanted to lose it. Um, The Senate is not, I mean, in the House, um, you know, you've had 39 midterm elections since the end of the Civil War. Mm -hmm. And the party, the the president's party's lost seats in 36 out of 39. (laughs) And it's behaving like the 36, <laughs> not like the three exceptions. But oh the Senate's a little different. I mean, it's 19 out of 25, 19 out of 26. Um, and it because only a third of the Senate's up, and it matters which third and what happened six years earlier. And there are just sort of lots of other things that come into play. So right now, uh, I think the Senate is, is, is basically flip a coin, mm-hmm. and the House is looking pretty ugly. But you know, 14 months uh, yeah, sure. is a really, really long time in politics. And, you know, you do this as long as I have and you develop some degree of humility. Yes. Uh, yes. No, matter, no matter how personally <laughs> arrogant you are, you, are you, you still develop a little bit of humility. But this is what we do, right? We love to talk yeah. politics and we talk four years out. We talk, you know, we talk. Uh, and, and so and it's always a treat to talk to you. And I miss talking with you. And I used to work with the Baton Rouge paper. And I really do appreciate you coming on and being with us. Thank, thanks a lot and look forward to talking to you again. Bye-bye. Yeah, super, Charlie. Thank you. And we want to thank our executive producer, Mike Gugat, our technical producer, Brad, maybe the Wizard of Pods, Dave, our announcer, and our contributing voice talent, John Terzis. And we will be back next week with another thrilling edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. Until then, always remember to read beyond the headlines. Have a great week. With the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported, not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career covering political corruption, 
scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, The Front Row, is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.